You never have any questions, but if I don't ask, you'll have some, right? <laughs> I'm going to let you pass this around. Uh, you're probably going to 2, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Take a couple of those. Uh, these are uh, verses for you to read as we move through the material. thought this might be uh, make it a little easier than, than walking through it verbally. You can... Pull a couple of those out and be ready to read them uh, as we move through our lesson. Picture this situation. You get a call from uh, a friend whose uh, wife was just killed tragically in a car accident. Or uh, one of the members of your small group just lost their job. Or your spouse suffers from some debilitating um, chronic pain that affects literally everything they do or a young wife comes to your door and shares with you that her husband has packed up everything and left her now, how do you respond to these situations how would you respond you know what do you do you feel helpless obviously right most of us do but would you know where to begin would you what, what would you do in those situations? Sometimes we might find ourselves just commiserating with the, with the emotional strain that they're dealing with, but what would you do? How would you begin to speak into or minister in a situation where there's that kind of pain and, and hurt taking place? What do you do? What do you say? What do you pray? Uh, how do you pray for such a person? Or where do you go into the scriptures? Um, how do you help to bring some comfort to someone that's facing such, uh, such a devastating issue? Anybody take a shot at it? Yeah. So there's some practical things you can do like that. Uh, thinking in terms of what we've been discussing as uh, discipling, you know, uh, helping each other grow in the faith, uh, there's, there's opportunities here when you think of these kind of situations to minister to someone spiritually speaking as well as practically. The two go hand in hand. You may need to begin with the practical needs because, you know, life as we've known it has been turned upside down uh, so you have to be one of the things you have to do is diagnose or figure out when is the time to start broaching those spiritual aspects as well we live in a fallen world that uh, where pain is uh, is prevalent almost all the time isn't it difficulty suffering and in order to be a good discipler it's important to think through how you're going to minister to those in pain. I can remember years ago, I took a Bible. I ran across something that I don't remember now. I got it in some kind of a counseling situation, I guess, where a lot of verses uh, were just organized according to topics, you know, things that people might be dealing with, whether it's a call, a vocational call to ministry, or whether it's a doubt of salvation, or whatever it may be. There was just all these verses, and I remember taking that and copying it in the flyleaf of my Bible so that I had that available. You know, that was a resource that I could use. And I began to work through and read those verses myself and see what they said so that when I ran across people facing these kinds of things, I had, I had a little bit of ammunition. I had a little bit of uh, 
preparation and resource ready to take them to. And if nothing else, just let them read a scripture with me and see how God uh, speaks into these situations in our lives. In order to be this good disciple, it's important to think through how you're going to minister to those in pain. This is, this is a theology of suffering. A theology of suffering. Have you, ever, have you heard that term? Is it something we, It's not something we think about, is it? We think about pain and suffering or hurt, we usually think about how to avoid it, right? How to get out from under it, how to get away from it. You're talking about your, your health situation. You just want resolution. You want to be able to get back to normal. Same thing with Stu last week talking about his daughter. He just wants to get back to some sense of normalcy where there's not so much tension or not so much difficulty going on in this. But the bottom line is that life is comprised of all these things all the time, isn't it? As we get older, we recognize that. I don't know when we're kids or when we're younger, I don't know if we just don't recognize it. We're kind of oblivious to those things. You know, they come and go. We fall and skin a knee. That's about the extent of it, right? We don't understand what's really going on in life. But when you grow older and you start to recognize that these things are taking place all the time. In studying a theology of suffering, we're forced to ask a few specific questions. One, how do I understand suffering? How do I understand suffering? Second, how does my view of suffering shape my faith? Or does it? Does it have some impact upon my faith? Are any of my thoughts on suffering unbiblical? Truth of the matter is, all of us would probably have to say yes on that one, wouldn't we? There's always somewhere in our thinking processes or feeling processes that we're unbiblical in how we're struggling with our suffering. How does my views on suffering shape the way I care for others? As I said, for most of us, we want to seek pleasure and we want to feel good, right? That's what we, that's what we think that's normal. Avoid pain as much as possible. Scripture teaches just the opposite. Scripture teaches us, and I have to say this, I've had conversations with some people that will say, you know, sometimes I feel like you're making a lot over suffering and pain. And uh, why do we need to spend so much time talking about it? And my response is, Scripture speaks about it a lot. Paul makes a big deal about it in the Corinthians letters, about the suffering is what God uses in us to shape us and mold us into what he wants us to be teaches us that God uses suffering to help us grow closer to him and to bring him glory. John Piper wrote this. This is what he said. We must talk so as to make suffering seem normal. Now think about this. In our minds, it's abnormal, right? We must talk so as to make suffering seem normal and purposeful and not surprising in this fallen age. The forces of American culture are almost all designed to build the opposite worldview into our minds. Maximum comfort, maximum ease, and maximum security. Avoid all choices that might bring discomfort, trouble, difficulty, pain, or suffering. Add this cultural force to our natural desire for immediate gratification and fleeting pleasures, and the combined power to undermine the superior satisfaction of the soul 
in the glory of God through suffering is huge. So everything is pushing us and pulling us in an opposite direction to what God says he uses very powerfully, very clearly to accomplish his purposes in our lives. You don't have to go any further than to look at the greatest demonstration possibly of God's glory is what? Creation. Creation. Christ's suffering, the crucifixion, God's condescension into this world, you know, living a perfect life, going to the cross and taking on the penalty of sin for us. <coughs> so what does the Bible say about suffering? <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible, first of all, is realistic and honest about suffering in a fallen world. It does not paint a rosy picture of the Christian life. It is straightforward. It's amazing, though. Don't we, we look for those rosy kind of verses, don't we? Yeah. We focus in on those things. You know, we, we look at Jesus and we say, well, you know, Jesus was love <coughs> and he was kind. And we don't think about all the times that Jesus was dealing with pain and suffering. And we don't think about the pinnacle of his life as it pertains to us was in when he laid his life down, when he took on our sin, and suffered and died for us. This was the reason that he came. The scripture tells us. <clears throat> so the Bible is realistic and honest about suffering in our world. Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Who has that one? I do. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, quote, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. We often overlook the fact that this is the context for the unfolding of God's story. This is Genesis 3. <laughs> you know? And this is what he tells us it's going to be. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Who has that one? That's me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Hmm. So... The Bible's realistic and honest about suffering in our fallen world. 
God, secondly, when we think about what the Bible says about suffering, the Bible also tells us God is totally sovereign and totally good. Totally sovereign and totally good. Now, what do we mean by sovereign? What does that word mean? Well, it's, uh, let's think about, um, it's hard for us to get our minds around it here in America because we have government by the people, for the people, blah, 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 right? Right? Or at least that's the theory. But if you go to a place where there's a monarchy, okay, what do you have? You have, you have a king who has absolute authority. And when we think about sovereignty, that's what we're thinking about, is an absolute authority. He is absolute authority, which also implies he has absolute knowledge of everything that's going on. Now, we see monarchies, <clears throat> not many of them, I guess, left around the world, but what we see are kind of pale representations of those monarchies, aren't they? I mean, like in England, it's not a, it's not a real functioning monarchy. It is a name only. They have a parliament. They still have a government, really, uh, that the people participate in, and the queen and the, the family, uh, the royal family, is really are really just figureheads at this point. But with God, that's not true. Totally sovereign over everything. There's not one rogue molecule anywhere that's outside of God's control. That's essentially what it means. The Bible teaches us this. It's very clear about it. So <clears throat> we think about suffering. How do we reconcile the fact that suffering and sin and evil and all these things are taking place, people are hurting, and the fact that nothing is outside of God's control, that God is over it all. And people, you know, the, the, the non-Christians or the skeptical Christians, the skeptical religious people will argue that against us, won't they? They'll use that as leverage and say, if God is God, why is suffering you know, going on in this world? Why does he permit these things? If he's, in, if he's such a big God and powerful God, why didn't he do something to stop it? So how do you respond to that? How do you, how do you uh, have a discussion about that <clears throat> with someone? Are you one of those that just says, I'm not going to have that discussion because it sounds like they've got the goods on us? <laughs> yeah? Scripture, the Scripture does not apologize for this. It tells us we live in a world that's, that God is sovereign and totally good. He's not evil. He's not bad. He's not, um, he's not negligent. He's not cruel. He, he's not a, a child abuser. He, he is a sovereign and totally good God, and yet there's this suffering and hurt going on in our world. So how do we reconcile that? How do we help people understand that? We know from Scripture it's true, <clears throat> but in difficult times, our intellect and feelings help us deny this, don't they? I mean, when you're going through something really devastating, I mean, you know, it's one thing you have a flat tire on the way to work and you're a little frustrated. Things are not going your way today. But, you know, you're probably not to the point where you're really questioning God at this point, right? But when... A good friend or a family member contracts, you know, a terminal disease or a, back to our earlier illustrations, you know, 
tragedy strikes and someone is taken out of your family, um, you know, you got you got to question. You start questioning those things, don't you? You start wondering. You know, the, the enemy will use that and whisper to us and say, you know, if God is God, why would he let this happen? When <clears throat> Karen and I were married, um, we've been married five years, and um, our two oldest girls were just, just little. Um, they were 14 months apart, so Amber was probably, she probably was getting ready to turn three, and Amanda was about a year and a half, something like that. And um, Karen's parents lived around the corner from us, you know, half a mile away, three quarters of a mile away. Her mother worked at the church office where I had just gone on staff and had for 25 years. And she took, she only worked part time because she wanted to stay home and keep the girls while Karen worked uh, as a nurse uh, at least a couple days a week. And, uh, and she was involved in a car accident and was killed. Um, taken from us instantly and um, I can still remember that phone call that we got from a friend of mine who happened to be in the area where her and and actually we lost uh, she was in a, in a van with um, with her mother-in-law who was having like an 85th birthday celebration and they were taking her to the beach and and Karen's dad's uh, sisters there were I think four or five of them and so they were in a minivan, and they kind of evidently were talking or something, and just ran through a stop sign, and a truck hit them from the T-bone from the side. So she lost two aunts and her mother in that in that car accident, just like that. Um, and you know, and we were just getting started in ministry at the time, and it was devastating. And Karen's mother was a very godly woman. She she had ministry at that church. You know, she was a church receptionist and financial secretary and yet she had all these women that she ministered to and she taught Sunday school and it was just one of those things where you know I can remember sitting and thinking for days and weeks and months why would you do this there's so many people that you know could care less if they're in the world or you know how they live life or anything else and here we've got one that we need it seems like why would you allow this to happen why would you permit this we didn't know we still don't know the answer to that you know it's been 31 years now we still don't know the answer to that but we do know what we read in scripture that God is totally sovereign that Bad things happen in this life. Suffering happens in this life. Heartache happens in this life. But God is totally sovereign and totally good. And while we don't understand it completely, we trust in his character and his attributes and know that, that he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't allow mistakes to occur. God didn't cause these things to happen, but it's a product of a fallen world, a sinful world, and death and destruction are occurring all the time. And... We're not going to be shielded from it, are we? <clears throat> truth is truth even when we're struggling with it. Rather than denying God, we must cry out to God. And that's, that's what we determined to do, was to cry out to God and say, not why God, but help us. You know, Help us navigate through this and work through it and trust you even though everything in us is having trouble doing that. 
<clears throat> Let's see. Uh, who had Luke eighteen nineteen? Somebody have that one? <laughs> Maybe it's, I didn't, might not have given that to anybody. Okay. At the same time, so what the Bible say about suffering? It says that the Bible's realistic and honest about suffering in a fallen world. God's totally sovereign and totally good. And at the same time, man is sinful and responsible for his actions. Romans 3.23. Who's got that one? Yeah, all of sin. There's none righteous. You back up earlier in that chapter to verses uh, uh, 10, 11, 12. You, you hear, he says that there's none righteous, not even one. That all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. They've missed the mark that God expects. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When you go back to what we read earlier in Genesis 3 there, you heard, you heard God pronouncing the results, the, the curse that he warned Adam and Eve would come if they rebelled against him and sinned. And since that moment, that curse has become reality, hasn't it? It's become, it's come to fruition. And we live with that curse. And we see it played out in so many ways. We see it in natural disasters in our world. We see it in uh, meteor showers, you know, banging into planets. We see it uh, in human beings mistreating each other, taking each other's life, uh, hatred, anger, all these kind of things. That curse continues to play itself out, all because we chose sin as opposed to choosing God's righteousness. To say anything different would be blasphemy. Sin comes from man, not from God. <clears throat> also, the Bible teaches us that God uses everything for His good purposes. Genesis 50 and verse 20. Yeah, I mean, that's Joseph speaking, right? We know Joseph was sold by his brothers, mistreated by them out of jealousy and anger. And he went off down to Egypt. He spent time in jail, all that stuff. And God ultimately lifted him out and made him second in command in, in Egypt because he used him to uh, speak into Pharaoh's life about stuff that was coming. And he used Joseph to spare his family, to save his family, and to save uh, other people throughout the world by administering this program of redemption that God had for them. Uh, it's a pretty incredible story. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Yeah, it was during the aftermath after we lost Karen's mother that Romans eight, chapter eight, but the, particularly Romans eight twenty eight became so so ingrained in my. 
the fabric of who I am because I poured over that verse. I meditated over that verse for days, it seemed, for, for hours, just saying, you know, I know what it says. I, I believe what it says, but I can't really grasp what it says, you know. And so it took a long time for that finally drop into my heart where I could in faith, I could in faith, not visibly, not experientially even at that point, at least not in that particular situation, but in faith believe that, yes, all things work together. Work together. Not all things are good, but all things are working together in some kind of a synergy and friction. And God says he's going to bring good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So God uses everything <clears throat> for his good purposes. Also, God builds good things into the lives of his children, even through difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances are not, not pleasant. Anybody enjoy difficult circumstances? Does anybody enjoy that? I mean, do you know anybody? There are some people that enjoy conflict, don't they? They'll create conflict in order to try to solve conflict or resolve it. I never understood anybody like that. Um, I don't enjoy difficult circumstances. I don't really know anyone who does. Am I any? Are y'all built that way? I'm, I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy pain. I don't enjoy suffering. I understand that God uses it for my good. It does, still doesn't mean I like it. I didn't like two a days in football years ago. They were painful. That was hard. That was. And the only thing that could keep you going was the thoughts of getting to play when you finally put on the uniforms to get to play a game. And, and you could just felt yourself just hanging on by a thread, you know, because you knew what was coming that was going to make it worthwhile. But all that training and, you know, hard stuff, you went through boot camp and training and, and lots of things. And you probably still have to work out regularly because of, you know, the, the post you hold. And it's it's worth it to you, but I don't know anybody that just enjoys that. You enjoy you enjoy what it produces in us, right? But we don't necessarily enjoy the the challenge and the suffering that goes goes into these things. Pain is real; it's not enjoyable. Consequently, people often interrupt suffering or interpret suf uh, suffering as a punishment from God. Right? We think about you know what's God? Why is God doing this to me? What did I do to deserve this? The scripture says God uses suffering to shape and mold his children. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Have you ever forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Hmm. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best, but God disciplines us for good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
Wow, a harvest, a harvest of righteousness and peace from God's discipline. That's pretty poignant. How should we respond to suffering as Christians? Run from it? Fight against it? Try to avoid it? I'm not sure about the avoiding. I think you probably should try to, I don't know. <clears throat> I think we're all wired that way, right? You know, I'm going to try to avoid it if I possibly can. I don't know. It brings us, sometimes it brings us down to our knees a little bit more. Uh, there's no doubt that it does that. But I don't go out looking for it, do you? I agree. Uh, if I see it coming, I'm probably going to try to avoid it. Agreed. You know, even though I know God is going to use it for my good. Endure it. Endure it, yeah. We pray for strength. We pray for the Spirit to equip us to help us move through it. Um, you know, my prayer is not, is not, Lord, take it away, but help me move through it and learn what you want me to learn quickly. I don't want to have to repeat it, you know. Give me, give me a teachable spirit. Uh, hardships usually create questions like, what do, we, what do we do to make things better? Or why is this happening? And the most fundamental question a person can ask is who do we turn to in the midst of our suffering? So rather than concentrate on fleeing or avoiding, we need to turn to God. We need to turn into God and say, what, what is it that you're doing in me in the midst of this? What is it you want to, how is it you want to shape me? What is it you want to change in me? Psalm 42, 5 and 11. God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. I think it says six, so it's kind of in the middle of the sentence. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then 11 is, why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil, turmoil with me? Open God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Yeah, why, why, are, you, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? Why are you troubled by this? Trust in God. Look to God. Believe in Him. Uh, Psalm 56 3. They want to have that one? That's me. There you go. Easy enough, right? Now our work's done. You know that when you have trouble, just trust in God. It's going to be okay. What are God's purposes in suffering? I mean, suffering's not meaningless. So He uses suffering very intentionally in our lives. Suffering gives us opportunity to stand out as Christians in this world, to be distinct from the world. <clears throat> if we never have any suffering as Christians, let's say God, God um, makes the lost or people outside of His family suffer. He allows them to suffer and, and experience the curse, but he puts a bubble around his people, well, that's not going to make any impact for those in the world, is it? Because they go, well, sure. Well, what did we hear Satan accuse Job of? Well, you know, he only serves you because you've got a hedge built around him. Nothing bad ever happens to him. He's got everything he could possibly want. 
So he turned his blessing into an accusation against him. He didn't. He didn't believe. You know. That's right. Suffering is that which, when we walk through suffering well, with with glory to God, the world recognizes that and sees something distinct and different. So we have an opportunity there for our testimony to be used to draw people unto the Lord to say, how do you do that? How can you possibly walk through that? How can you deal with that tragedy of lost life in your family and still be content, still be at peace, still have joy? How can you do that and still believe in your God? Yeah. It's yeah. It gets your attention, doesn't it? And then you want to hear what they say. Right. So you have the opportunity to be distinct from the world, to be different from the world. And God gives us these opportunities through the sufferings that we encounter. First Peter four sixteen. Sixteen is what we want. If you suffer as a Christian, well, that's probably, it's probably, you just probably got a typo there. Go ahead and read it. All right. All right. Uh, so I guess I'll read 16. Is that 13? Yes. All right. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. That's right. Suffering teaches us to rely on God and not ourselves. It teaches us that we can't save ourselves. You said earlier, it drives us to our knees. It, it, it knocks the props out from under us. We, we are prone as human beings to believe that we've got the answers, that we can make this happen ourselves. Uh, we in America think particularly we've, we've got the answers to those things, right? We think we can always. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Always. That's our answer. And that actually works against our walk with God. Because God says, no, you can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, all things are possible. Suffering teaches us to rely on God. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Someone have that one? I have it, but it's not mine. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Oh, and nine. Indeed, our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. Yeah. He allows, he allows hardships, he allows suffering and pain and suffering in our lives to teach us we can't, we can't do it on our own. Suffering also teaches us God's decrees. Psalm 119.71 
it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees, said the psalmist. Suffering matures us into godly people. The Lord is molding for himself. He's making us righteous. <clears throat> James 1, 2 through 4. Someone have that one? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Savior receives glory through our suffering. 1 Peter 4.13. There you go, Steve. You still there? That's the one you were supposed to read. Uh, yeah, that's okay. I can read it. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings. Now get this. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice. It's not enough to endure it, but He wants you to take joy in it. Take joy in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. What's He saying? That by rejoicing in the hardship and the heartache and the hurt now and allowing God to shape us and mold us as he wants will contribute to a greater joy when we're finally glorified and in the presence of Christ. Wow. Suffering even allows us to share in the Son's glory. Romans eight seventeen. That's me. Okay. And if children... It's God's prerogative to permit suffering. Pain can be meaningless or it can be meaningful. I think most of the time it's meaningful. Consider this for just a moment. God could have chosen to leave us in our pain and to make nothing of it or for it. Do nothing about it. Yet out of His mercy and because pain is not beyond God's sovereignty, He uses suffering to bring greater glory for Himself and to shape us to look more like Himself. So it's our privilege and joy to partake in suffering since God receives glory through it. So how do we prepare our discipling friends for suffering? We, we've got, if we're discipling or we're walking with people in our faith and we're seeking to encourage them and strengthen them in the faith, how do we prepare them for suffering? Notice emphasis on the word prepare. The best time to learn about suffering is not in the middle of a crisis. <laughs> we need to be prepared. We need to have our minds set. We need to have our focus where it needs to be before we get into those opportunities. So, first of all, we need to take some time to talk about suffering. Again, we're going to talk about it here as a church because it's an integral part of what God does in our lives, how He works. Typically, we only talk about difficulties when we're experiencing suffering, but uh, <clears throat> we would advocate that you don't wait until suffering comes to finally talk about it. If you're discipling someone or you're in a discipling relationship, make, make it an intentional focus. Let's talk about suffering. Let's see what the Bible says about suffering and how it should apply to our lives in preparation for when those time comes. It's not a matter of if suffering shows up, right? It's a matter of when. It's a matter of when. It's going to happen. 
help them to deconstruct worldly assumptions about suffering. What do you think the worldly assumptions about suffering are? It's punishment. So therefore it's bad. Or you're a bad person. God's not in control. God can't be in control. Your Christianity doesn't work. You know, when you think about, it's kind of the reverse. One of the popular, one of the popular um, false teachings of our day is prosperity teaching. Well, yeah, it, it says that, you know, if you're doing everything right with God, then you're going to be blessed. You're going to prosper. You're going to gain wealth. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be wise. You're going to have all these things. you got world, the world by the tail on a downhill drag. Okay? But that's not it. God says just the opposite. I mean, when you hear someone on the television preaching this stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't coincide with the Scripture. You have to take something out of context to try to make that case. And it doesn't. you gotta, you got to go through and throw out all the disciples who, by the way, were martyred because of their faith, because they would not renounce Christ or give up preaching the gospel, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They all suffered and died for it. You look at some of the greatest Christians that we've known throughout history, and they are people who have suffered immensely for the faith, you know, who laid down their lives and suffered for it. It's, it's, a, it's a constant. It's a constant. So, for most Christians, worldly assumptions influence their thoughts on suffering. Uh, so we need to help them to disentangle those assumptions from their suffering. For example, we mentioned earlier how people assume that suffering is a bad thing. Help them to realize this is contrary to Scripture. Suffering's normal part of the Christian life. Also, study God's purposes for suffering as revealed in His Word. Why? You'll be better equipped to assign godly meaning to suffering in your life. How does God use suffering in the Scripture? In Job's life? How does he use it in David's life? How did he use it in Abraham's life? How did he use it in Joseph's life? I mean, it's there. It's there every time. How did he use it in, in Moses' life? How did he use it in Paul's life? And you got, you got great stuff written in, in Corinthians uh, from Paul uh, talking about the benefit of... Paul said, the Lord told him, he asked him... Three times to remove a thorn in his flesh. And the Lord said no each time. And he said, for my grace is perfected in your weakness. The fact that this keeps you humble and weak, my grace is able to thrive and be perfected and be on display through you. Study suffering using good Christian articles and books. It's not a new subject. There are lots of good things written on the subject. Um, you could read uh, Joni Erickson Tata's book, When God Weeps, or Don Carson's How Long, O Lord. There's, there's some good things out there. There's some that's not so good, but there's some really good things that you could use uh, you know, to have a conversation with someone over coffee. Uh, build the relationships before suffering comes. As a discipler, you can better get to know the person when things are not so difficult. And then you're better prepared to talk about it when you're in one of your in the midst of it, right? Focus on faith. Remind them troubles will come. So prepare to respond to them in faith. John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have helped. 
Help build a foundation on the goodness and sovereignty of God. Luke 6, 47, 48. These are the words of Christ. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Yeah. Rehearsing rehearsing this message that God is always good, totally good, and totally sovereign. And, you know, I this has been something that God used this accident that we went through years ago to shape in my life. It's become an integral part of my ministry over and over and over. And so it's been something that I continually preach to myself when things are not going the way I want them to. And it's something that I continually share with others when they're dealing with difficult things. And what's very rewarding at this point in time in my ministry and having been here in this church for as long as I have, is when things like this happen in people's lives, and to hear them speak back to me these same messages now, you know, that as we rehearse these things, they begin to take root, they take hold in us, and they begin to impact the way we think about things. And so when bad things begin to happen, we don't immediately, it's, it's been amazing. I've had this happen uh, two or three times in the last month or so, where things have happened for people and I and things that you know your heart breaks for them and you you start to share with them and you want to commiserate with them and say this is really bad and they look at me and go pastor it's God's going to use this and I'm going you're right you got it you got it here I was ready to wallow in the suffering with you a little bit but you're telling me you're preaching right up my street that's great that's good stuff you know, God's making it stick. Uh, teach them to meditate on the gospel. Before suffering comes, equip them to meditate on the truths of the gospel. Help them to remember that God sent his son to suffer on their behalf. Now, how can we help our discipling friends when times are difficult? As a discipler, hopefully you're, you're discipling people that maybe you're in the same church together. So you have a covenant relationship together if you're in the same church. You're members of the same church so you have a responsibility to partake in their suffering with them, to help them. That's what the body does for each other. When, <clears throat> Brian, when your body says to you that something's not right and you're suffering, you're having some pain, doesn't it affect every other part of your body? It does. You know, if your feet are tired and worn out and swollen doesn't it affect your back and doesn't it affect your head and doesn't it, I mean, when you lay down to try to go to sleep and that's going on, I mean, doesn't it impact you? Yeah, your whole body does. Try this. When you go out to your car tonight, try this. Just slam the door on your finger. <laughs> and see what happens. What will happen if you do that? You're going to, you're going to, first thing's going to happen is this hand's going to run to the rescue. It's going to grab it or, you know, you're going to get it like this and you're going to jump around and you're going to scream and you're going to, your whole body gets in on the act, doesn't it? That's, that's maybe a little bit simplistic, but that's kind of what the body's designed to do. The spiritual body does that. If someone's hurting, we all should be coming in and partaking and suffering with them. Being a part of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, and 26. 
there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So there you have it. We're doing it together. Be present when suffering comes. Don't let people go through suffering alone. Be an ambassador of comfort. You have a duty to show comfort to others because God has first shown comfort to you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You know what? As painful and as devastating as what Karen and I went through 31 years ago, it has better equipped us in ministry to help others who go through similar things. We know how it hurts when something like this happens. We know what it feels like. We know how to pray better. We know how to come alongside them better. We can relate to it. And so all the things that we encounter, God's using in this way. So be an ambassador of comfort. Use that experience in order to speak into the lives and lean into the lives of others. Be willing to make sacrifice, uh, sacrifices for others. Uh, Galatians 6.10, did I give that one to anybody? Yeah, be willing to make sacrifices for them. Suffering never seems to come at a convenient time. You can't schedule a crisis, can you? It always comes at the most inconvenient time. Gently instruct in difficulty, but mainly comfort in crisis. Reaffirm God's character. Talk about God's mercy and goodness. 2 Samuel 24, 14. And then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. Amen. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. People always ask a lot of questions when they're going through difficult times. You know, why is my son suffering with cancer? Why is my husband about to die of a heart attack? Why did I lose my job? Doesn't God care? You know, those questions all come to the surface, don't they? And you may not have the answers to them. Very few of us do uh, at any time. So focus on reaffirming the character of God and their need to trust, trust his character. His character is good. His character is loving. His character, Jesus went to the cross to die for you. So surely, surely he can handle this, right? If he, if he purchased your redemption, then he, he's going to bring you through this too. Don't try to explain what you do not know. <laughs> Some of these questions, you may not have a good answer, and it's okay to say, I don't know. Instead, focus on what you do know. Point them to the gospel. Take them to the gospel. Truth is always true, and sin is always sin. Jeremiah 10, 10, 11. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Truth is always true. Sin is always sin. In the midst of a crisis, the black and white of truth and sin can sometimes become gray. So it's important for people to start, or they will start to reconstruct their theology around their suffering rather than around truth. So you've got to take them back to the truth. Pray with them and or for them. One of the best things you can do for a person is simply to pray for them in the midst of their struggles. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he puts all things under his feet gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You got long ones tonight, didn't you? I did. Did you do that on purpose? Nope. <laughs> so pray with them. Pray words of comfort uh, over them, with them. Think practically how to serve them, especially in the midst of a crisis. Galatians 6.13. Last one. Nobody got it? Don't be scared to ask for outside help. There are going to be times when you'll be overwhelmed by your discipling friend's difficulties. So don't be afraid to ask for help from someone else. That's, you know, that's what we do. Ask a friend or come see my, myself or Luke or someone. A feeling of being overwhelmed or the fact that others may have more knowledge on how to help a specific problem. Both can be indicators that you should seek outside help. And that's what we do for one another. You've got the three points, the concluding points there, right? Any questions? This is one that's, I mean, it's always in front of us. It's always around us. It's happening all the time. People that you work with, that you socialize with, that you, you know, live next door to, all those things. There's all kinds of stuff going on in people's lives. You know this. So, when you're having conversations, I mean, you can take some of these things and they can certainly help you minister to someone and maybe open up some doors. Even if they're not a believer, use these kind of things to work, uh, walk into a door and may, walk through a door and maybe help them come to faith in Christ. Okay. Next week's Thanksgiving, right? So we don't meet next week. Two weeks from tonight, we'll resume. We got, we got two more sessions, I think, uh, to finish up so all right